1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com/mood. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Chelsea Weber-Smith, a queer non-binary poet and podcaster working to understand American culture at large. They're also the host of American Hysteria, a podcast that explores how fantastical thinking has shaped our culture. Chelsea, welcome to the show.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much.
0: I'm so pleased that you're here. I explained this earlier off stage, but in case anyone listening thinks, "Wow, Danny sounds really stuffy," you're right. I'm stuffed up. I have a cold. I'm recording from home, and all my Bs sound like Ds, and vice versa. It's adorable. It's something. I'm, I'm, I'm getting. <laughs> I'm getting through it the best that I possibly can. But uh, I'm feeling reasonably well and able to hopefully advise people. How are you feeling? I enjoy the fact that your shirt is split in half. Uh, color-wise, like Too Faced. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Yeah. I usually take my inspiration from Too Faced. But yeah. He's a stylish guy. I do. I know. I put this on and I was like, this feels right. You know, it's kind of a bowling shirt a little bit, um, which I think is a great look. So thank you for noticing.
0: I do. I mean, having come (laughs) of age in not only the 90s, but Southern California for a decent chunk of the 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, the bowling vibe renaissance was everywhere, not just in like Gap commercials and the swing dancing craze, but uh, just how everybody dressed. shashas were big. Big bowling shirts were oh, yeah. big. Oh
1: yeah. Talking
0: like you were in the movie Swingers was big. It was it was a lot to take in. And yeah. I took it in.
1: <laughs> I can tell you took it in.
0: <laughs> I I did my absolute best. So that's, I guess, the like energy I'm going to try to bring is like all the ska guys that I knew in my Yeah,
1: years. yeah. I feel like they had
0: a pretty good handle on life. They were like, pursue the good,
1: mm-hmm. avoid the bad. We and- just did a series on jackass and the history of skate culture in the 90s and how that I just feel like that's kind of wrapped into what we're talking about here. Complicated culture. Very interesting to study.
0: Yeah. It feels, um, there was like a beautiful fake mini documentary a number of years ago called Pool Jumpers that was just about treating guys throwing a ball and jumping into the pool as they caught it, as if it was like Lords of Dogtown, like just incredibly like valorized, slow motion, sun-kissed shots and just like... It's truly, truly, I think, a great work of oh, art. I'm, a, and I'm obsessed with summer. this
1: idea. I love it. I, I love jumping in a pool and catching a ball growing up. You know, I think that's a big part of my gender identity is jumping in a pool, trying to catch a ball.
0: They changed the game. They really changed <laughs> the game. Uh,
1: well, th- I'm really glad. I feel like this is a good basis for our first question, which is
0: fairly thorny. This is like a complicated question of like parental relationships. And I don't know how either like skateboarding guys or jumping into a pool is going to inform our answers, but I have a lot of faith in us. So I'll go (laughs) ahead and read the problem and then we'll figure out how we might want to tell someone to try to solve it. Okay. The subject is dismayed only child. I'm a woman in my early thirties and my parents have been in a dysfunctional marriage for 40 years. Growing up, I saw codependency, my father's rages and my mother's alcoholism, constant passive aggression, and a tendency for them both to triangulate me, their only child. I moved across the country five years ago, and my mother confided in me about how things quote really are at home, including physical intimidation and screaming, withholding love and affection, and disrespectful treatment. I saw a lot of this myself, but it created a greater urgency in me to help save her from their marriage. They're both financially struggling, and each has cited this as the reason they can't or won't divorce. But even in the face of a significant cash gift from her wealthy brother a few years ago, neither of them did anything meaningful with that money, which has since dwindled. After that first conversation, she would tell me that she isn't going to leave him and that I needed to keep the fact of my knowing these things a secret from my dad. This has led to a half decade of secrets, lies, and emotional suppression. I hate that she insists I have a relationship with my father based on false pretenses when all it does is enable him. Even after I set boundaries with her about leaning on me for emotional support about her marriage, she still brings up these conversations when she's feeling desperate, and this leaves me feeling completely shattered. All the while, my father goes on thinking that his relationship with me is fine, that his behavior is justified, and that he's really the victim in this situation. I know I can't fix their marriage, but I don't know how to keep going on like this. I no longer want to play the role of dutiful daughter, and part of me wants to blow the whole thing up by telling them I'm not going to participate in this until they separate, but that's an ultimatum I know I can't demand. How do I reconcile all of this? How do I make peace with knowing I can't fix this for them, but also wanting a relationship with some of the only family I have?
1: Oof. Yeah. I mean, I like to kind of keep my own sort of life separate from what I do publicly, but like this is definitely a question that resonates in my own life. Um, I'll just say that. And um, it's a, I mean, thorny is what you said. It is so difficult.
0: Yeah. And like on the one hand, the letter writer is abundantly aware like this uh, marriage has been dysfunctional for longer than I've been alive. It's it's been like crisis mode seemingly the whole time. I get on some level that I can't change it, but then that's also paired with a really strong desire of like, but tell me there's something I can do because I just really want to get in there and bust
1: them up. I know. And I mean, gosh, the struggle of wanting to save the people you love, I think is a big part of this question and probably so many of the questions that folks have who have parents and dysfunctional relationships um it's interesting to me that the that this person um brought up codependency because that's something that i have i actually go to meetings called codependence anonymous which is um part of you know the aa family which obviously has plenty of issues so this is neither like a uh, go to AA or don't sort of You're, you're not personally endorsing it. No, I'm not personally endorsing talent. it. It worked uh, uh, well for me because I like group therapy. But yeah, I think that so much of that is about trying to let go of control. And that is a terrible <laughs> feeling. It's like, you know, I don't know how to fix other people's relationships and to you know as much as I want to take away people's pain and the ways that they're unsafe it's like man I don't know I had to kind of deal with a situation recently not unlike this and it, that kind of forced me to let go of that control eventually it was kind of months of like I need to do something to fix this and it's like I felt that I was kind of the only one they could fix something like this, right? And it's like I had to get to the point where I reconciled the fact that these are two adults, whether they're my parents or not, and um, I didn't know beyond that what I could actually take responsibility for and what I had to kind of leave behind. And the enabling is a big question. I think that's sort of the the biggest question here is like, what do you do with your relationship to these people? Not how do I save them or fix their relationship, right? And I mean, that's sort of what this person's asking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this sense of, on some level, I'm aware that both of my parents have triangulated me. And then that kind of morphs into, but my mom really does need me to save her. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I'm kind of the only one who can do that as opposed to, you know, again, like letter writer. I, I feel like I've been a little bit more ruminative on this one, just because I think the letter writer like has all the information and is is pretty conscious of the same things that we're discussing. It's like, you know that she got a lot of money a few years ago and didn't use that to, to file for divorce. You know that it is possible for people in straightened financial circumstances to also get divorced. That doesn't make it like easy or fun, but if you really want to make it happen, you'll make it happen, and she doesn't. And And it can be just challenging when you see someone who does want to complain seemingly endlessly about a situation they're in and are just as dedicated to taking no steps to Mm. changing it. It can feel like either I can stay with you in crisis mode and be constantly panicked and constantly like on edge, or I can like close off my empathy and just say, you've made your own bed. Now lie in it, get over yourself. You deserve this. And it's difficult to figure out anything in between that can still acknowledge like your mom doesn't deserve this kind of treatment from your father even if she is also like engaged in like bad patterns herself um or or enabling him or asking you to enable him in ways that are totally wrong none of like she could be doing things that are not right without it being therefore just like well I'll go fucking deal with it and and yet it is also true that 5 years of being really anxious trying really hard trying to make persuasive points and trying to change her mind has not made your mom say, you know what? That's a really good point. I'm going to leave him. So I do think letter writer, the place to begin is um, you've been trying really hard. If trying really hard, we're going to work for, you know, coming from you. Yeah. I think it would have worked at this point. So I, I think your goal of trying to make peace is not necessarily what I want for you in the sense of like, feel peaceful about calling your mom all the time and pretending um, but in terms of not continuing to do what you have been doing, I think that is a good and a reasonable goal. Um, do you have a sense of is there an option for the letter writer besides either keep doing what you're doing or you know email your dad and say by the way old man I fucking hate you and I'll never talk to you until you leave mom like what what do you think might exist in the middle of those two things?
1: You know I think that. What exists in the middle is how you redefine your relationship to each person, right? And you can say like, because you're enabling both parties, obviously, which isn't a fair assessment necessarily because that has such a negative connotation. Like you're enabling this person like it somehow becomes like your fault, right? Which I think is kind of unfair language in a way. But like you are allowing yourself to be in a particular type of relationship to both Parties. And that's like, I know saying parties as your parents, but it does feel like that in a sense. It's like, you know, you're speaking with your mom about everything, right? That she wants to kind of unload on you about her relationship, which is something that you could say, you know, hey, I I can't hear this from you because it's so difficult because I love you so much. And, you know, you can say, I want you to get out of this relationship but like i can't play this middle person and you know with your i mean i think it's about like what do you really want out of your relationship to your parents it's like if you want a relationship that is just sort of surface level which i think a lot of our relationships to our parents are like we may not get that depth and we may not get that understanding and we may not get the things that we want but if it it appears that that the letter writer does want a relationship to both parents and i just think it's going to be like okay what type of relationship do you feel like gives you your integrity while at the same time, you know, is as non-enabling as you can be, um, which I think these are just like big questions. And I don't think there is a particular answer. I think each situation and even each moment calls for sort of a different way of being. But then that also shifts it back onto you. And you've been, you know, doing five years of this type of stress. And, you know, and it, it is, it hasn't, it hasn't worked like you mentioned, Annie.
0: Yeah. And so there's the freedom in acknowledging failure,
1: mm-hmm. which isn't,
0: you know, it is not itself a fun thing to do, but the thing that comes on the other side is, um, I think you can say to yourself, I don't actually need my mom's permission to hate my dad.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't
0: need my mom's mm-hmm. permission to potentially say something about this to my dad. True. Um, true. firstly, because I think what she has asked of you is wildly inappropriate. But also I think it me like, if somebody else asks me not to say something and they're distressed, I have to do whatever they want, no matter what. Untrue. They just want you to do something. You still get to decide. Now, that doesn't mean you need to call your father and, like, give him a play-by-play of all the, th- the things that your mother has said about him over the last five years. But you have plenty on your own behalf that you can say. Um, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't necessarily recommend that you call him up and, like, read him a laundry list of all his faults. But it just really sounds to me like you don't like your father- you don't want to have a relationship with him. You would like to end that relationship. I I want you to do that. You don't need your mom's permission. She's not going to like it, but she doesn't like anything right now. You know, she's she's pretty committed to unhappiness. And I, I think one of the things I want you to be able to free yourself from is the belief that if I act in just the right way or do just the right things, my mother will become happy because of my hard work. And I hope and wish that at some point your mom will prioritize her own happiness. I believe that it is within her power to do so, but it can't come from you, especially not as her kid um, and especially not when she's had a habit of inappropriately leaning on you to help her manage and offset her anger and fear and sadness about this terrible marriage that she's in. So I think for you to give yourself permission to decide what kind of relationship with you you want with your father, which it sounds like is kind of none. That doesn't have to involve having it out with him. It can. It can also involve just going dark. Um, you get to make that call. And, um, you know, you say, even after I set boundaries, she still prompts these conversations when she's feeling desperate, which leads me to think the problem there is when she feels desperate, you don't know. When she comes across as desperate, mm-hmm. when she expresses desperation, you don't know how to keep that boundary up. You crumble. And again, none of that's to say, like, you, you idiot. How Like, <laughs> no, I just mean no. that's the act that's happening. And so I need you to figure out what am I going to do the next time my mom calls me in desperation? Because of course that's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Don't feel like this is a crisis or an emergency. This is the normal thing that she does all the time. And that doesn't mean you don't care about her. It doesn't mean that you're cold. It just means you acknowledge the desperation does not actually match up with a need for change. The desperation is what she does to make it possible to stay in this marriage. And so I think to have a really clear-cut plan of the next time she sends you a panic email at two in the morning or calls you freaking out, um, you need to be able to have like another friend or a therapist or somebody you can reach out to and say, like, my mom's going to do her usual thing, her usual bid for uh, support, and I'm going to do something different this time. And I'm scared to do it because it'll make me feel like a bad daughter. It'll make me feel like I'm hurting her. It'll make me feel like I'm leaving her to be harmed by my big, scary dad. And I'm going to need help not feeling like a monster- Setting a reasonable boundary, but you can do it. You don't need her permission to do it. She's not going to like it. She's not going to thank you for it. She's going to try to stop you. And so I just want you to know going in, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Because then you can plan for it and then you can figure out how do I hang up on somebody who's crying? That's a hard thing to do. It's not always, I don't always, by the way, like I don't want want to stress, like if anybody (laughs) calls you crying, just be like, fuck you. I have to take care of myself. I mean, when it's your mother and she's been doing this for years. Um, and does not actually want to change, then it's time to make that call end. Um, but you can do that. And I promise you, it will not hurt her in the way that she might want you to think that it is. It, it is, in fact, consistent with loving her and wanting the best for her to say, I am your kid. I cannot also be your marriage counselor. I cannot have any conversations with you about my father. None. Yeah. You have to go somewhere else. And so if, I, if you bring it up, that's the end of this phone call. And I just again, like, you can maintain that boundary without her help, without her agreement, without her participation. Frankly, without her consent. Like I think that's actually an important idea to introduce here, just because I feel there's so much bending over backwards for your mother, and this fear of my mother is always in danger. My mother is always a damsel in distress, and I can never get out of crisis mode as long as she's feeling activated, and she's always feeling activated. Which basically means you never get to, you never get to get out of crisis mode, and you deserve that chance. So. That's the thing you have to do rather than the ultimatum of you two. Like right now, it feels like the only way I can imagine peace in my life is if the two of them separate. And I get that. But um, the only way you're going to have peace in your life is if you figure out what do I need to get peace, even assuming my parents never, ever separate and things stay this way until the day that they die. Because peace is still possible and worthwhile for you, even in that case. And I'm reminded of the fact that a few weeks ago, I was out for a walk and I saw a copy of Codependent No More like propped up against oh, an yeah. apartment building, like someone was giving it away. And I just had that feeling of like, man, either someone really like broke through a cycle or someone fucking gave up today.
1: I know. And I don't know
0: which one it was.
1: Man. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I was going to recommend just sort of that, that whole genre of writing, of. Uh, Codependency and just learning. It seems like the letter writer may already be sort of educated in codependency, but I think it's just like whether you go to Codependence Anonymous or you just learn about codependency, it's like it really gives a person an ability to see their own dysfunctional relationship to others, which is like, you know, we're looking at a a massively dysfunctional relationship, but you're also, our letter writer's also experiencing a dysfunctional relationship. And that is unfortunately the only like unfortunately the only way to deal with these types of situations is to what you can control and letting go of the things that you can't. And that is so hard. It is not an easy thing, but I do think that understanding the the codependent relationship that we have, especially with people who we grew up with and who gave us kind of our dysfunctional traits um i do think understanding that relationship and how you can alter it in ways that give you peace and that allow you to say okay this isn't actually my responsibility and i think that's the hardest part is you're like this feels like i am the only one who can fix this situation when in fact you are not and you cannot and that is again a loss of control that is very terrifying but eventually might be liberating too
0: yeah I think so too. I feel like I could talk about this one for hours, yeah. which is probably a good sign to move on to sure, our second sure. letter. But yeah, I, I just really I think the thing that feels the most familiar to me in this letter is this: like I can't understand why stating the obvious, describing what's happened, um, explaining what I think needs to happen, why the, like logic and reason aren't working here. And I so you, reason and logic can almost become like a form of insanity in this kind of situation. Like if I can just explain it for the nine thousandth time obviously she will do something different. Cause like, if you admit I'm in a terrible marriage, there's no sign of it getting better. I'm very unhappy. Of course, anybody would then admit the next thing that has to happen is I've got to get divorced. But your mom would in fact, no matter how persuasive or logical or or reasonable you sounded saying all those things would agree with every single point and then come up with another reason to explain why she can't leave. And she would keep coming up with those reasons. And it just feels like it can't be I can't be. I must just not have explained it the right way. There's got to be some other way. And it's just like letting go of that fantasy that you can convince someone to abandon an irrational proposition is really difficult to do. And, and part of why I'm glad you brought up support groups and anything that involves being an other with other people who have been in similar situations yes. is so helpful.
1: I, I think for me, that's more helpful than therapy and everybody's different. But I do think like he, hearing people experiencing the same set of emotions and the same fears, and like overcoming them can be a really beautiful thing, um, and, and really like heartening for sure. So. I- Grand can-
0: I will take myself at my own word and move on to our second letter, which is exciting because I think this is one of the first times I've like occasionally read a letter with someone who is describing a person in their life who had like either neo pronouns or the pronoun it, which I love. It's so fun. This is the first time I think that I've read a a letter from somebody talking about somebody with no pronouns. So it's obviously just like a lot of first names Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm excited to see how that feels. The subject is crop rotation, relationship rotation. I, she, her, am dating Ethan. No pronouns. I love Ethan. I tend to live perpetually in the future. And Ethan drags me to the present and literally stops to smell the flowers. This relationship also sparked a desire to have children that I had previously repressed. We both want to, but there are several barriers. Ethan doesn't have a job and lives on benefits. While that's fine for our relationship, I do worry about how it would affect us as parents. As the breadwinner, I'd have a responsibility to provide that would restrict my ability to change careers or work flexibly. I'd want someone really dependable, but I think Ethan sometimes has a tendency to run away. Ethan just returned from a two-month stint at a religious farm and is looking to return for another nine months next year. Ethan also frequently travels around the country visiting family and friends, seeing gigs, or going on religious retreats. There are other things I'd want Ethan to work on, like conflict avoidance and direct communication, But when we try to talk about this, Ethan says the farm is helping accomplish this, or that the future we both want can never come true and we should just break up now. These musings don't seem serious, but they do upset me. I'm not sure what to do here. I think going in with a list of things that I want Ethan to change reinforces Ethan's feelings of inadequacy, but I do want kids, and I won't do it without some conditions being met. Wanting kids is, of course, also no guarantee of having kids, and I can imagine being with Ethan without kids, but I wonder if we'd eventually grow resentful of each other for denying the other a chance of parenthood. I love Ethan, but at 30, I can feel my biological clock ticking and I don't have much time to waste. Certainly not nine months away at a farm. Do you have any advice about how to handle the situation? Mm. I think it's kind of lovely to have this on the heels of our last letter where we were talking about how difficult it can be to persuade someone to abandon an irrational position. (laughs) And like when I read a sentence like, my partner says, whenever we like discuss a problem that we can't solve, that we should just break up, I know they don't like, I know it's not serious. It's Mm -hmm. like, why do you know that? Because it sounds to me like your partner has said a couple of times that you two should probably break up. And your only response to that is, ah, you don't mean it. Yeah. What if they mean it? Sorry. What if Ethan means it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, if Ethan's willing to go on nine month religious retreats at, uh, you know, at a, farm of some kind, then it does feel like if that's something that that Ethan feels like they're going to need continuously throughout their life as what amounts to a seeker. I feel like Ethan is a straight up seeker. I say this as a fellow seeker. And I think it can be really hard to try to I mean, how do you get someone to to not I mean, it's not like you give that up when you're a parent, but like you got to give some of that up. And for, you know, Ethan lives perpetually in the moment. Great trait. Absolutely love it. Really difficult for parenthood, I would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, I was a little surprised reading this letter because uh, I often can kind of just come down and they're like, get real. Category and like be practical, Mm -hmm. and whoever's the most practical wins my favor. Ethan kind of sounds like fun. Like, I kind of think the world needs people like Ethan, and I kind of appreciate this approach to life. I think it's kind of neat. I don't love the, you know, when we talk about difficult issues saying, oh, let's break up and then not doing anything about it, but we all have flaws. Um, So I I guess I'll just say, you know, letter writer, people on benefits have kids, people who are unemployed have kids. That is not itself like an irrevocable barrier, but People who say our future will never come true, our desires are incompatible, and we should break up, that's a pretty bad sign. Yeah. This makes me think the odds of you and Ethan having children together is very, very low. And the odds of you and Ethan breaking up in the next six months is very, very high. And that this will be for the best. Um I, I think frankly, Ethan has told you pretty clearly, you know, your like sort of list of things that you want. The answer is no, I don't want to do that. I think that the futures that we want are incompatible and I think we should break up. I I think you didn't like that answer, which I can certainly understand. And so you're sort of dismissing it with, ah, Ethan didn't really mean it. How do we have this conversation? Um, But I, I think you've had this conversation. I think you got an answer that you hated. And I'm really sorry. I wish the answer had been, I am interested in changing these things. I am interested in meeting in the middle. But I think Ethan said, no. And so the question for you then is: Do I want to have children with someone who wants to leave for another, you know, nine months to go be at a religious farm and like bop around the country and do cool itinerant Johnny Appleseed stuff? Um, <laughs> but unclear if if it would mesh much at all with co-parenting, or do I want to not have kids? And you know, the stuff about like I don't have nine months to waste; my biological clock is ticking is telling me. Even when you say like, I can imagine being with Ethan without kids, that doesn't have quite the same like emotional strength and resonance as clock's ticking. I don't have nine months. I've repressed my desire to have children. It sounds to me like you kind of really want to have children and that Ethan's been pretty cool, but that if you had to make a choice, you would maybe want to prioritize saying this was an amazing, weird, wild, interesting relationship. It's time to move on.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like it unlocked a part of you that is powerful and, you know, maybe more like in the moment and in the world. And you've probably experienced some beauty that you didn't experience before. But like, yeah, you might just have to take that with you because that's still a part of you. You know, it's just a part of you that's been unlocked. And I think it's really hard to let go of the feeling that that certain people can give us when they have these kind of I mean magical personalities maybe you know a bit of like a a pixie dream Ethan here I think for sure um and that's like you know, I, I I used to travel around a lot. I was like a hitchhiker in the summer. I was definitely like, if there was a religious farm, I probably would have gone there. Um, if it was a new age religious farm, I probably would have been there. Not now, but in the past. Um, but I can definitely say that like, if someone's telling you like, I'm a loner, I'm a lone wolf, you know, I I you're probably going to want to listen to them because I definitely dated people that did not want to kind of listen to me about that. But uh, does it appear that Ethan has also talked about wanting to have kids? Wait, we both want to have kids. Okay, so they do both want to have kids. But yeah, I mean, like you said, if 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 the moment you bring it up, there's such a intense response, I, I don't know if you're ever going to feel the security that it is obvious that you also want to feel, which is very, very fair when you're bringing children into a situation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think just for me, the the clearest point that comes out of this letter is, you know, that classic Oprah line: if someone tells you what they are or what they want, uh, believe them. And it's just like Ethan has said, uh, about as clearly as you can, the things we want are incompatible. We should break up now. Take Ethan seriously, because I feel like if you don't, there's a letter you could be writing in five years. That's just like, and everything I really hoped wasn't going to happen, fucking happened. And I didn't want to believe it. So I didn't let myself believe it. And I went forward hoping that I could like build a different kind of relationship based on good intentions and my hope of the kind of person I believed Ethan could be if Ethan suddenly adopted all of my values. And that just sounds like a fucking heartbreak and a difficult road to hoe and a really difficult situation to become a parent in. So um, I also like, I can understand wanting to pursue parenthood with time in mind, but I also don't want you to. Th- think like, oh, 30 is so late. I've got to get a hustle on. It just needs to be Ethan because Ethan's the person I'm with right now. And I don't have time to go meet somebody else that I think would lead you to make some bad rushed decisions. So I think this is like that classic fridge magnet. Some people come into your life for a reason. Some people come into your life for a season. And some people come into your life to leave footprints on the sand because they carried you when you were struggling. I am mixing it up with the footsteps Mm, magnet, but you know what I mean? Yes. This is a classic. Ethan was with you for a season. Ethan does not want to be a co parent. You and me, equally yoked, heading down the like plow of life, given and taking in equal measure. Ethan wants to hop on down the road.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, it's so nice to dream of having a child, and I think that that's maybe where Ethan is at, is like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to have a child? You know, And I, I feel that way too, but once you get down to what it actually means, I don't know how you're going to nail Ethan down <laughs> for yeah. this. I, it's like, just because someone says they want a child doesn't mean that they are equipped at this time to do all the things that, you know, and that that says nothing about Ethan's financial situation. It's about where they're at kind of emotionally and mentally and um, spiritually, I guess, you know? It, it's like if you are feeling that you have a limited amount of time, which I would like to say 30 is very young, at least in my opinion, I think you have a lot of time to kind of figure out what you really want. And I think that Ethan spurred all these big feelings Um, that maybe feel like they need an immediate response because they're so big. But I think just maybe taking space, even if you're not ready to fully break it off, I think that space taking would be a really good middle ground to just say, okay, like, Ethan and I need to take a month where we're not talking and I just need to, like, get my head on straight, figure out what it is that I want without the power of, like, my love for this person clouding. Those, like, kind of basic decisions that you have to make that are not based in emotion unfortunately
0: yeah yeah and I think like it also just may be that Ethan's idea of parenthood is incompatible with yours I don't even necessarily think it's a case of you want to be a parent in a way that Ethan doesn't so much as Ethan might want to become a parent and like be on benefits and fucking hit the road with the kid and just like bop around the country and see what happens and that would feel like a totally like impossible level of uncertainty and precarity for you. And, you know, just no amount of wishing or hoping in the world. is. There, there's some positions where there's just not a good middle ground. Like there's plenty of people where it's like, well, we, we have some big differences, but overall there's enough of a middle that we can like live within a reasonable Venn diagram. And there are other people where it can genuinely be the case. Like you're not a bad person. I'm not a bad person, but there's no sustainable middle between us. It's just not going to work. And I think this is a pretty clear cut case of that. So yeah, I, agree. I would just say, yeah, there's there's no two ways about this one. I, I think you should save yourself a lot of time and have like a friendly but poignant breakup with Ethan now where you feel like, oh, this is so sad. I'm leaving wanting more as opposed to in five years when you're like, God, I hate you. And you're kind of a deadbeat. And you've ruined my
1: life or something, right? Yeah, and I just
0: feel like a single parent, but in a way worse way than if I had just become a single parent without you. And also, I'd never want to see a fucking farm again. Like, you've ruined farms for me.
1: Yeah, especially religious ones.
0: (laughs) I am really curious about what your experience is with religious farms, because I think the closest I can come to either of those is when I used to live in the Bay Area. I would often go down to the Pie Ranch, mm-hmm. which was like a working farm slash ranch just north of Santa Cruz that hosted square dances. That was kind of amazing. Oh
1: yeah, big square and dance fan f- here.
0: Yeah, I oh, for some reason I only wanted to go to square dances there. I don't think I've ever otherwise been square dancing, but like this beautiful like barn right on the beach with like baby goats was like yeah that's, I'm gonna do that. And then maybe another three hours down the road on Big Sur there was a monastery of, I always mix up like Cistercians and Carmelites, um, whoever follows the rule of St. Romuald. Um, anyways, there was a great monastery down there that would like rent out little shacks on the beach for like 60 bucks a weekend. Um, and you could go on retreats, but they were, they were never so close that I was doing farm and religious retreat at the same time. Right. What about you? What's the closest you got?
1: Let's see. I would like to just say I, too, love square dancing, but only the punk version of it that I experienced when I lived they in Charlottesville.
0: Square I mean, of course they do. Sure. Yeah. Why not?
1: Um, yeah. And I mean, it would be really cool because it would be like callers and their bands would travel around and it would just be like house party square dance, which was a totally different and very like queer vibe. Um, which you don't sweet. always think of with square dancing. But there is a vibrant underground community. But let's see. Religious Farm. Um yeah I I feel like I once went to this new age <laughs> farm because I was reading like probably some book about like a Sufi poet and someone was like oh You need to go see. You uh, could just say Rumi. Yeah. No, I wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) It was one of the other ones. Oh, I don't even know. It it might have been like a philosophy book. It was some like mystical text. (laughs) I could have been a branch of any religion, but it was a mystical text of some kind. And I was told to like, go to this farm and see this man named Shaman Ziggy, who taught me about past life regression. And, um, you know, not really a scene I would find myself in now but I was in my early 20s um, but yeah it was like very much a cooperative community of people living on a farm in Sandpoint, Idaho and I'd say that was my closest to a religious farm and yeah the vibe was not really for me and I I left but I'd say that's my my closest religious farm and if someone tells you oh you're reading a mystical text you should go to a second location with a hippie yeah. gotta be careful
0: <laughs> yeah. I, but I, I do think it is also important to spend at least some amount of your life in places and situations that make you think I might roll my eyes at this. Like it's not good if you are someone who always rolls your eyes and avoids everything that makes you roll right. your eyes. There you Very end true. up eventually getting boring. So there's there's some magical in-between zone where like you can't be too credulous or like too into everything. That gets risky. But if you never go somewhere where you're gonna roll your eyes, it's it's a little bit like uh, my friend's husband always says, if you never miss a flight, you're spending too much of your life in airports. Wow. So that's it's great like, not say. that you should be trying to uh-huh. miss flights, but like, if you're always like, yeah, I had three hours to spare, you're spending too much time in airports. And so I, similarly.
1: That's great advice. On American Hysteria, we use the term flexible skeptic. And um, I think that that can be helpful in, in situations like this too. It's like, you're all, you know, Keep your keep your debunking hat on, but also uh, don't let that ruin your life and ruin your sense of wonder and uh, make you think that you know everything because none of us do. And there's lots of mystery in this world, and that's a beautiful thing.
0: There certainly certainly is. Yeah, um, I, I love this idea. Also, I checked, and it's the. Kamal Deliz, Okay. And I never feel confident about how I pronounce them, which is partly why I'm always in my head like just calling
1: them Cistercians. You're probably um, close so. to Esalon in Big Sur, I would imagine. Yeah. Another yes. rich yeah, yeah, new yeah. age yeah. non-farm. Right. No, because <laughs> these are
0: like absolutely just like dyed in the wool Catholic monks.
1: Okay, love uh, it.
0: <laughs> which is like you know, I
1: love a monk. Uh, I love a and monk. And I just
0: <laughs> for for whatever reason, uh like I don't I don't go to church. I'm not like a member of an organized religion. But if I'm going to a monastery, I'm like, I want these guys to be like fucking old-fashioned religious. I don't want any of this like hippy-dippy, like love is love stuff. I want you to have like specific, concrete beliefs that I mostly don't agree with. Yes, um, I felt so strongly about this. I was, I was up like uh, in in upstate uh, a while back, and I passed a church with a sign outside that said something like, "Sometimes you just need a hug." On like the little church sign, I was like this is so much worse to me than if it had just said like, God hates fags. Is it worse? No, I'm being facetious. But like, I hate that kind of sentiment so much. Like, why are you a church? Like what's going on? Yeah. Why not just be a farmer's market that sells candles? What is this like totally tepid, meaningless, content-free sign? Like, I want you to put a Bible verse up there. I want you to have something that you're doing, even if I oppose it like politically with my entire life, like don't just be vibes. You know, commit to the
1: bit, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> be something. Be something. At least at least, I'll respect you if you're something. But putting up on your little church sign that people need hugs. Stop it. Your I don't church. know what
1: Bible you're reading. There's not a lot of hugs, unfortunately. <laughs> or even like, if you want
0: to go in the Bible and find like a nice sentiment about like affection and friends, good news. There's shit in there that you can use. You don't have to like come up with your own little like people like hugs ideas. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyways,
1: Then you're just standing with the free hug sign and that's a whole other issue. (laughs) Exactly.
0: And it's just like, yeah, is it 2007? Are we doing this again? (laughs) Are we going to sit in the middle of like Washington Square Park with a little typewriter and give people free poems?
1: A lot of people still do
0: that. Do they still? Oh, well, good for them. It's good. It's Um, good. We need poetry. Yeah. It's like I'm not against doing free things. I just, uh, there's some sort of like ambiguous degree of uh, like, (sighs) emotional heft that I need to know is behind it before I can relax. I get that. Anyways, I do have a really sweet update to read if you don't mind sticking around for that. I'm really enjoying this. So this one is, I'm writing to give you an update on my letter Lost in Transition that you answered on the May 23rd episode. I actually, by the way, I'll just uh, preface this with, that was somebody who had written in to say they were thinking about giving their boyfriend tea because they had started transitioning but their boyfriend hadn't yet, but they were a little worried that it might be like, I'm pretty sure the phrase power dynamics came up Mm -hmm. at some point and I was like, do it. It'll be fun and hot. Um, So that was my advice was give your boyfriend drugs. It's fun and hot. Love it. I actually ended up starting my boyfriend on testosterone before the episode even aired. (laughs) And he's been on tea for about two months now. I mean, of of course. course. (laughs) Everyone I've ever known who has started tea, not everyone, but a lot of them have gone from, oh, what's that over there? Is that some tea? Is that tea? Maybe I'll take it in a year or three. And then it's like, Oh, you've got extra. I'll try some right Mm now. Uh, Okay, let's just do it. Let's just go for it. It's (laughs) it's really beautiful. It's a lot of like, oh, no, wait, oh, wait, I'll think about this like carefully in a field for three years. And it's like, no, I won't. I've actually been thinking about it uh, stressfully for eight years and not telling anyone. And I'm sick of waiting. It's stupid. Anyways, so enough. I will go back into the letter. He's been on T for about two months now. He went in recently for STI testing and also mentioned that he'd been doing DIY HRT. And so they added some testosterone-related tests to his blood work. I haven't yet heard anything about the results, but I assume all is good. The staff at the STI testing place also had some suggestions on where else to try to get transition-related healthcare, but my boyfriend actually had more information than they did. They only recommended places that he's already gotten in touch with, including some that are now closed and some that aren't accepting new patients. Yeah, Typical. that is also often yeah. my experience. I think a lot of people are worried about any kind of like informal or DIY HRT because they're like, what if I'm missing a lot of critical information? It's like, you can just like anyone else Google UCSF transmasculine HRT guidelines. Yeah. Uh, that's frankly probably better than you're going to get a lot of places. Absolutely. Uh, there's no beautiful hand holding doctors. His mom, who lives in his home country, has been a huge ally, and she's actually in a local group for parents of trans people. Through this group, she got in contact with an endocrinologist who then saw my boyfriend virtually about a week ago. That endocrinologist emailed him a requisition for blood work, but it's not in English and he hasn't done anything with it yet. When he goes back home, this doctor is willing to see him and prescribe testosterone. Unfortunately, he can't leave Canada right now because of some bureaucratic and immigration issues with his visa. Otherwise, he's really happy to be on tea and pleased with the changes so far. For the last year or so, I've been filling my prescriptions as fast as possible to try to get two vials every two months, when in reality, it takes me about three months to finish a vial. So my stockpile will last us both for a while, and I plan to continue replenishing it. Thank you so much for the thoughtful and encouraging responses to my letter. Oh, great. This sounds beautiful. I, I mean, I could wish that your boyfriend wasn't having to deal with like bureaucratic issues and 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 all that, and I hope the blood work comes through. But yeah, it sounds great. sounds like a pretty serious... Uh, Fun plan. I, I co-sign all of it. Awesome. And I personally can take legal and medical uh risk for anything that might go wrong. So feel free to, <laughs> you know, sue me if anything bad happens to you or him. But yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I hope he's able to see another doctor and get his own script at some point in the future. But it's like, it was pretty, you know, the 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 risks that come with starting HRT are like. Pretty straightforward. You can still talk to your doctor about them, even if you are taking HRT from a non doctor source. And I'm so glad he did that, like that he wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not allowed to say it. Like, you should tell your doctors what drugs you're taking. Great. Give your boyfriend drugs, as always. That's how I like to end every episode. (laughs) And if anyone out there wants specifically one drug, you know, you know where to find me. Um, Thank you so much, Chelsea, for being on the show. Uh, It was a delight. And if you ever want to come back or try a little testosterone, Shoot You're me my anyway. man, huh? <laughs> I'm it. I'm, I'm the guy. Everyone needs to have one guy that they're like, oh, I got a guy. Like, he's my tea it. guy.
1: Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. He's my tea guy. He's my tea <laughs> guy. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll take you up on it. But uh otherwise. Who knows?
0: Well, we'd love to have you back on the show. I would show, love that. I would love else. that.
1: Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me, Danny. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form. Or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Depending on how close you are, you could also, if she does it the next time, you could just say, you know, Grandma, I've noticed that the last couple of times we've talked, any time I've mentioned leaving the house, you just seem terrified and I'm really concerned because that seems like an inappropriate level of fear Mm. and uh, as you know I've lived here for years I know my neighborhood pretty well I'm not making it up when I say that I have lived safely and without being attacked for years so uh, I'm not just like living with my head in the clouds I actually I mean I'm not suggesting you say the phrase lived experience to your grandmother but like I actually know what I'm talking about and your level of fear is really surprising are you okay yeah and I don't mean that in like getting one over on her or like, haha, I've defeated you because I like rhetorically spun around the fear to be on you. But I think to really ask, do you find that you're more afraid of things than you used to be? And genuinely being open to hearing her talk about that, I guess is some of what might also be going on that's just harder for her to articulate is Unless she's a very unique woman in her 80s, she's probably a little bit less independent than she was 15 years ago. Um, She probably understands the world a little bit less than she did 20 years ago. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood